You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation. To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. This morning's Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, EBF. My name is Tim, and I serve here as lead pastor, and just have to say how thrilled I am for us to be able to regather next Sunday, May 23rd, and look forward to that precious time together. A lot of hard work is going into that, and uh, I'm especially thrilled that this is my, Lord willing, my last recorded message, and so look forward to to being with you, and um, if really been um, enjoying this series, or particularly diving into the book of Ephesians together. And I, I thank you for all of the great uh, feedback and the ways that God has been using this series in your life, and also in the, the reading of the book of Ephesians over and over again. Thank you to those that took that challenge to heart and have been soaking in the book of Ephesians. Hey, this month, as uh, Asian Pacific Heritage Month, one of the things I wanted to do is spotlight a couple of scholars that have been very helpful for me, even as I have preached the book of Ephesians. And one is Dr. Itachiria Nainen, who has written in the South Asia Bible Commentary. Uh, he is from Kerala, India, and is a New Testament prof professor and principal of IPC Theological Seminary. And that entire volume is one that I highly recommend. It goes through every, every book of the Bible, but has been immensely helpful. And then Dr. Ken Ganakan has written in the Asia Bible Commentary series. He was an Indian theologian, educator, and environmentalist who actually passed away just this past um, May 9th of this year. And so I would love to open our time just in praying for his family and also as we approach uh, God's Word together this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you grateful for these two men. And Father, we pray especially for the family of Dr. Ganakan in this time. Lord, that you would comfort their hearts. We thank you for his life lived in service to you and for the immense impact he's had on, on preachers and and and. Um, ministers all over the world, Lord. We pray to God for peace among Israel and Palestine, peace in Jerusalem. And Father, we pray this morning as we open your word, God, that you would illumine it, that you would use it to speak to us deeply. And Father, we thank you for this letter written to the church in and around Ephesus and how it has spoken so much to us today in this time and in this place. And so, Father, would, would the words of my mouth 
and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we have reached the end of our journey through this magnificent letter to the church in and around Ephesus. And we have seen how this this letter has dripped with this theme of the unity of the church of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, all according to the plan of God. The first half of this letter in chapters 1 through 3 is all about the grand vision that God has of our cosmic unity in Christ. And what we saw in the first half there is that Paul begins with everything being of, in, and for the Lord Jesus Christ, who alongside the Father is the source of grace and peace. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, election, adoption, grace, redemption, forgiveness, revelation, belonging, acceptance, and hope all according to God's plan, God's plan to unite all things in Christ. Even as Paul prayed in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, we are to pray like him for fellow believers, giving thanks for faith and love, interceding so that they will grow in their knowledge of God, and praising God for his power displayed in Christ. Apart from Christ, we were dead because of our trespasses and sins, captive to the world, the devil, and the flesh, and deserving of God's wrath. But God, in His mercy, His love, and His grace, made us alive with Christ, raised us up with Christ, and seated us with Christ to display His extravagant grace for all the world to see and for all eternity. God's gift of salvation by grace through faith is not from good works, but for good works, as the proper evidence of what God has done in our lives through His gospel. And so, in chapter 2, verses 11 through 18, we were hopelessly alienated from God and one another. But through the cross, Christ has has radically reconciled us to God and to one another, creating one new people in Himself. And so we who are fellow citizens in God's kingdom, full members of God's family, and those living stones that are being built into God's temple, must remain anchored in Christ, founded upon God's word, and under construction together in the hands of the master builder. The mystery of the gospel found in Ephesians and revealed to Paul is that the multi-ethnic people of God are heirs together members together, and participants together in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so every disciple of Jesus Christ is called to minister the gospel wherever we live, learn, work, play, or worship. Let us humbly pray to the Father for strength through His Spirit, the love and knowledge of Christ, and the fullness of God so that our wonder-working God is glorified forever. That's the first half of Ephesians. Then in the second half of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, we are then shown how to live in light of our unity in Christ. What begins with who we are in Christ moves into how to live in Christ. We are to live lives worthy of our calling by maintaining the unity of the Spirit based on the oneness of the triune God. This unity that begins with our divine calling 
depends upon Christ-like character that should be an urgent concern among the body and rests upon our common gospel confession. A church that could be considered a gospel-advancing church is one that should be marked by united diversity, gifted responsibility, mobilized ministry, growing maturity, and humble orthodoxy. Through faith in Christ, the church is to be distinct from the world. Yes, we have died with Christ, are risen anew with Him, and are called to abandon the corruption of the old life and to live out the new life for the glory of God and the unity of the church. So what follows then is a series of walk statements, walk in holiness. God's sanctifying power and presence should transform every aspect of our being. Walk in love among those who are called to imitate God. There should be no room for immoral conduct or communication. For those who practice such things are excluded from the kingdom and under God's wrath. Walk in light when we who were once darkness but are now light in the Lord display the character of Christ. We reveal the shameful and the secretive works of darkness and help people come to the light themselves. And walk in wisdom. We are to watch where we're going by making the most of every opportunity, growing in our understanding of God's will, and being filled with the Holy Spirit through both vertical and horizontal attitudes and actions. So then in the end of chapter 5, we turn to relationships that should be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled marriage relationships are those in which submission and love are two aspects of what it means to give ourselves up for one another that are patterned after Christ's own self-sacrificial love. This is what is vital for a strong and enduring marriage. In spirit-filled family relationships and also workplace relationships, and even beyond what we do and how we do it matters. Because all of life, in fact, should be lived in, to, from, through, and for the Lord Jesus Christ. So be strong in the Lord. Jesus won the ultimate victory over evil on the cross. We endure the battle that remains, that mopping up process, when we stand firm in the power of his erection. We stand firm by suiting up with the gospel gear that Christ issues, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. And we pray at all times in the Spirit. Vigilant prayer is foundational for the implementation of the full armor of God and for our readiness in the spiritual battle that rages. So when we come to Ephesians 6, 21 through 24, Paul closes on the same note of unity and love that he has stressed throughout his letter. And he illustrates them through his pastoral heart and his example for us today. Verses 21 and 22 contain his closing remarks concerning his dear friend and fellow worker Tychicus. And then verses 23 through 24 are a final benediction, a final benediction of peace, love, faith, and grace. So let's turn to those closing remarks concerning Tychicus. Follow along with me, verses 21 and 22. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. 
I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul has just reminded them that he is an ambassador in chains. Verse 20, and he has asked and invited their prayer for his bold proclamation of the gospel. And he now makes them aware of Tychicus, who, is, who he is sending to them to, to provide more detail about how he's doing and the work that is continuing despite Paul's circumstances. So what Paul does here is highlight three things. He's illustrating what it means to be united in love, and he, he does so by doing three things that reveal his pastoral heart. The first, he holds up his beloved co-laborer Tychicus as a faithful minister of the gospel. Who is Tychicus? Acts 20 verse 4 reveals that he was from the province of Asia and is listed alongside Trophimus, who was later identified as the Ephesian in Acts 21-29. So Tychicus could very well have been from Ephesus himself. He was with Paul in Greece and accompanied him to Troas during Paul's third missionary journey before going with Paul to Jerusalem along with and to convey the collection that was taken up by the largely Gentile churches for the, for the mainly Jewish congregation there in Jerusalem. Paul uses strong familial language here in referring to him as his beloved brother. He was someone who was obviously dear to Paul and had been a, a co-laborer, a faithful co-laborer in the gospel. Paul also, Paul also calls him a faithful minister in the Lord. The word for minister here can also be translated as servant or deacon. He was someone who served faithfully, had a proven track record, and had Paul's complete confidence. He most likely hand-delivered this letter to the church in and around Ephesus, as well as the book of Philemon and the book of Colossians as well. But then we read later, after Paul's release from prison, that Paul sent Tychicus to Crete to replace Titus. And then in 2 Timothy 4.12, Paul sends him once more to stand in for Timothy in, yes, Ephesus. So the first pearl of wisdom we can glean from, from these concluding remarks is that we should praise others. First of all, Paul did not have a go-it-alone type of approach to ministry. I know that we've looked at that previously in our series, but neither should we. And just as he lifted up Tychicus, so we should praise people, empower them, and affirm them before others. Paul did not make it a habit to exaggerate in flattering people. Instead, he highlights his dear companion's rock steadiness. He commends him as faithful to the Lord. And this is what every believer should long to hear. I think we are meant to hear in this an echo of what Jesus taught at the end of, that at the end of the day, we might long to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, as we are, as we are welcomed into the kingdom by Christ himself. So in thinking about this passage, to my beloved brothers and fellow elders, Robbie, Kent, Ben, Brady, Matt, thank you for your tireless efforts, for your faithful service in the ministry of the Word, 
for your prayer for all of the flock and for leading God's people in turbulent times under the direction of the chief shepherd himself. To my beloved sisters and and brothers and fellow staff, Ben, Jeff, Hannah, Danny, Michelle, thank you for faithfully carrying out your ministry responsibilities with joy, with grace, compassion, and perseverance, and for your hard work behind the scenes, even in preparation to regather once more as a body. And to my beloved sisters and brothers who serve as deacons within our church, to Amanda and Job, Ja, Chelsea, Michael, and Andrew, thank you for faithfully spotting and meeting tangible needs, protecting and promoting the unity of the church, and serving so selflessly in support of the ministry of the elders. To all of us, the measure of our lives and our ministries is not how much we make, what schools our kids get into, the position we acquire, the growth of our business, or the size of our church, but whether we have been faithful in believing, proclaiming, and practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ among all people, no matter the cost. Second, Paul repeats his willingness to bring the Ephesians into what he is experiencing. Why does Paul send Tychicus? Three times here Paul emphasizes sending him for the purpose of getting them caught up to speed on what is happening in Paul's life and among his companions. Do you notice that? Three times. So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Verse 21. The phrase, we'll tell you everything, also in verse 21. And that you may know how we are in verse 22. They would, of course, been eager to know how he was doing since it was his, his ministry to the Gentiles, like those in the church in Ephesus, that caused him to be imprisoned in the first place. He was arrested previously for proclaiming the mystery of the gospel, that God was unifying Jews and Gentiles alike in, who believe in Jesus Christ into one new humanity, one new body. And so a pearl of wisdom we can glean from this in Paul's willingness to bring the Ephesians into what he was experiencing is that we too should live transparently. Not only did Paul not go it alone, but he brought people into his own circumstances, his joys, his sorrows, his struggles. He placed a high value on transparency and had, in essence, nothing to hide from them. And as we saw in just a few verses earlier, he asked for prayer for boldness in the gospel, even in the midst of his imprisonment. May the same be said of us. May the same be said of our church, that we would bring one another into the stories that God is writing in our lives, that we would be vulnerable and open with one another, and that we would ask for specific ways that people can be praying for us. The third thing that Paul does here is that he desires to encourage their troubled hearts. Paul's other purpose for sending Tychicus is revealed in the phrase, and that he may encourage your hearts, in verse 22. Even though he was in prison, Paul's heart was on display. His heart was to strengthen and to encourage 
the churches that he was, was uh, a part of helping to start. And we have often made much of his you know, more theological mind, but it should not be at the expense of his pastoral heart. He enjoyed deep fellowship with the Ephesians. He had, remember, remember, he had ministered among them for three years. And his pastoral heart is especially revealed in how he prays for them in chapter 1 and, and in chapter 3 as well. And so my heart for EBF is similar to what is found in the Colossians 2, verse 2. That we would be encouraged in heart and united in love so that we may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that we may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This third pearl of wisdom is that we would encourage troubled hearts. Over Paul's life and ministry, he had three main ways of encouraging fellow believers, and that were praying, writing, and visiting. And strangely enough, these remain incredible ways that believers and churches can continue to encourage one another and build each other up, even if separated by hundreds or thousands of miles. I don't know about you, but I can think of times in my life when God brought someone to speak an encouraging word at just the right time or in just the right place. And we too have the opportunity to encourage and to strengthen our fellow believers, perhaps even on the other side of the world, through regular prayer, through correspondence, through maybe a tool like WhatsApp, for instance. And yes, even visiting if God makes a way for that to be possible. I, I've begun to share a little bit of my journey and partnership with, with uh, brothers who are ministering the gospel in northern Iraq. But that has been a part of, thankfully, not only have they encouraged me, but then also the opportunity to encourage them through prayer, through writing, sending a WhatsApp. What, a, what a, an amazing gift that we can correspond on other sides of the world. And yes, thankfully, I've had the opportunity to visit there a couple of times so far. And so pray the prayers of Paul for one another. Send the text. WhatsApp that missionary on the other side of the world. Ring the doorbell down the street. Or, yes, even get on the plane. These are the ways that we can encourage troubled hearts. As we turn to Paul's final benediction, it's worth asking, what do we wish for those closest to us? Is it health? Protection? provision, you know, that might say something about what it is that we value the most. But what is it that Paul wishes for his Ephesian friends? And that's what we discover in these, in these two last verses, in the final benediction in verses 23 and 24. This benediction is one of peace, love, faith, and grace. He pronounces this over them almost as a final wish prayer kind of create a hybrid there, a wish prayer. And so think of that even as we read these verses. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. 
these are things that Paul wishes and prays for all fellow believers, no matter of their, their race, their age, their sex, or socioeconomic status. Notice how he says that this is, that he says this to all the brothers. Peace be to the brothers, or that word there really means the brothers and sisters. And grace to all who love the Lord. Paul opens Ephesians in the first place with the phrase grace and peace. And now he closes in chapter 6, verses 23 and 24 with peace and grace. These are words that summarize the entirety of the message of Ephesians. That we can have peace with God and peace with one another by the sheer grace of God, demonstrated magnificently through the cross. Much like the two parts of Paul's letter, the first part of the benediction here focuses on the spiritual blessings or the the gifts that God has given to believers in Christ. And then the second part emphasizes our willing response, our glad response of love in light of what God has done through Christ. So that's how we're going to kind of divide up the, the remaining time here. That is first looking at each of these four gifts. The first gift is peace. Peace be to the brothers. Peace, as we know, is a prominent theme in Ephesians. We've seen it time and time again. Jesus, who is himself peace, he is the, the embodiment of peace, made peace through the cross. And he continues to preach peace to those who are near and those who are far. Elsewhere in Paul's writings, he refers to the God of peace and writes that peace with God is possible through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is not merely the absence of conflict. In Scripture, peace is used to refer to well-being, wholeness. The word is shalom. It is an ever-expanding sense of Christ's personal presence, that which is described in John 14, 27, when Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But there's another aspect of peace that Paul holds up in Ephesians, and that is peace or reconciliation with one another. This peace is both vertical as well as horizontal. Peace is what binds believers together in unity. And here Paul prays that the peace of Christ would envelop the entire community. And so as a result, we are those who are called to be people of peace, to be those who proclaim peace, as we are reminded even as we looked at the armor of God. The second closely related gift is love. Love with faith, there in verse 23. Paul mentions love three times just in these two short power-packed verses. In Ephesians, love is expressed between the Father and the Son and among the community of the saints toward one another. Paul prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love and that they would have the strength to comprehend the love of God that knows no boundaries. This love is extended to believers through Christ who who gave himself up for us in love. 
God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And the reason we are able to love at all is because he first loved us. Paul writes in Colossians 3.14, perhaps as the pinnacle of this idea, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The third gift is faith. Actually, did you notice how closely it's tied with love? Love with faith. Faith appears all over the pages of Ephesians, and it conveys not just mere belief or, or mental assent, but it conveys both belief and trust. But what is fascinating is how often faith appears alongside love. Ephesians 1 15 says, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. In Ephesians 3.17, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. In Galatians 5.6, Paul writes that what matters is faith working through love. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul encourages the putting on of the breastplate of faith and love. Faith and love. The fourth gift is grace. Look at the beginning of verse 24. Grace be with all. Grace, as we've seen in Ephesians, is God's undeserved, extravagant kindness. Paul uses phrases like, his glorious grace, he uses phrases like the riches of his grace. Grace is the origin of God's plan to unite all things in Christ. It is the origin of the mystery of the gospel. And it is only by the grace of God at all that we can be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. These four gifts then, peace, love, faith, and grace, all flow from both God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father is he who blesses. In Ephesians, we've seen him as he who blesses, he who is above all glorious. He is who designed and carried out our salvation and is the creator and sustainer of all people. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator of every spiritual blessing that we are given through his death, resurrection, ascension, reign, and yes, the, the uniting of all things under him. So the gifts of peace, love, faith, and grace should characterize our entire lives and our community. Church, God has provided all we need. And we who have experienced God's peace are called to be agents of peace among those around us. I want us to stop and to think honestly to ourselves, perhaps ask a question. Do we have any unreconciled relationships in our lives? Is there someone that we need to reach out to? Who do we need to pick up the phone and call? We who have experienced God's peace are called to be agents of peace. We should run toward peace and reconciliation, especially with our sisters and brothers. We too who have experienced God's peace 
should love one another with a deep love. A love that was shown ultimately in the cross. A love with faith that we should also respond in gladness to what God has done. We'll actually see that in the response coming up here. But similar to who perhaps we are not reconciled with is the question, who have you been unloving toward lately? Who are you failing to treat like family within the body of Christ? We are called to be agents of peace. We should run toward love and our salvation comes entirely by the sheer grace of God. And so all glory should be given to God for all eternity. That is where Paul goes next in describing our willing response to these gifts of God. Our glad response to the grace of God should be an incorruptible love for our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only place in Ephesians where Paul describes our love for God. He emphasizes a love that is not corrupted, a love that is not forsaken, a relentless love, an an undying love. And the reverse of this is found in a different book's benediction. At the end of 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, it says, Paul writes, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. I kind of prefer the more positive way that he puts it here in Ephesians, at the end of Ephesians, but this should remind us of the great commandment that Jesus gave us. Matthew 22, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Verse 34, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What we do know is that some Ephesian believers would later leave or neglect this love. What we will do next week is actually take up the letter to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. But let us, O church, let us respond to God's gifts, His gifts of peace, love, faith, and grace with an incorruptible love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love Christ? Is He your Lord? This this note at the end of Ephesians causes us to ask these questions. Do you delight in Him? Is your love alive and growing? Do you love Him more than when you first came to Him? May love be our glad an enduring response to all that God is and all that He has done through our Savior, Jesus Christ. This love, this magnificent love, is found in Paul's prayer for spiritual strength that he gives to the Ephesians, embedded right in the middle of the book of Ephesians. And so, as we close out our time in this letter, this magnificent letter to 
the church in and around Ephesus. May this, may this be our prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this letter written by your servant Paul to the church in and around Ephesus and how you still speak through it today. Father, thank you for what you have shown us, what you have taught us over the last several weeks. Father, would you cause these lessons to sink deep within us, Lord, to transform us through your word from the inside out. Our Father, we pray that you would even challenge us with these final words, these parting words here at the end of Ephesians, God. Would we indeed praise others, live lives that are transparent and on display to those around us? And would you use us, Lord, to encourage troubled hearts? Lord Jesus, we praise you for these gifts that you have poured out, these gifts of peace, of love, of faith, and of grace. And, oh Lord, would you cause us through your Spirit to respond in gladness with an undying love. We praise you, O Christ. We thank you. We look forward to that day when you will indeed unite all things in heaven. Unite all things, things in heaven above and on earth below, together through you. We pray this in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.